you guys. Uh, it's been fun being on here. Looking forward every week to listening to you guys and getting a lot of stuff. Um, I take it all in and I write most of it down and I do almost all of it. So I appreciate you guys' encouragement and help. Um, just something I've been thinking about uh, when Randy had asked me to do this, um, something that kind of hit me over this last year that's never hit me before in my life. And um, I'm going to give you some information about me that most of you guys don't know me, um, but you're going to get to know too, probably too much about me in the next couple of minutes. But, uh, but my, my whole life, I've always gone hard. I've gone fast. I don't usually slow down. I don't sleep a lot. Uh, I play sports. Uh, I went to Lincoln. I played baseball and tennis and soccer at Lincoln. Um, I coach football. Right now, I coach high school and middle school football here in town. Uh, I coach baseball, basketball, volleyball uh, for our church league. Um, just all kinds of stuff. I, when I ski, I don't just ski, I tree ski. So I'm, I, I like the, the crazy things in life. Uh, you know, I, I, I like living on the edge, I guess. But, um, but it's, always, it's always go, go, go. And it's, it's, it's never slow down. Um, I played flag football for 18 years, just, just retired, so to speak, a couple of years ago. Uh, when I turned 52, I wanted to play till I was 50 and I got to play till I was 52. Um, but even in that, uh, my shoulder started getting sore about year four and I just put shots in it and I just kept going. I wasn't gonna, wasn't gonna stop. And then I tore my, my elbow, the muscle at Tommy John, uh, about my 10th season. And I took a year off and then I played, played after that. So there was no slowing down. I just keep, I just keep going. And it's the same thing with, uh, with, my faith and with my life, it's just, it's constantly, when I came to church here in Whiting, uh, at my interview, I told the elders that this is the church, actually, if you don't know, it's the church I grew up in when I was one years old, I came here and now I minister here for 21 years. And so when I came back, um, to be, to ask to be the minister here and apply for here, I told the leadership at the time, I said, this building that we we're in right now, uh, won't sustain us, won't be what we're going to need for the future for it to, for us to grow as a, as a church and the kingdom of God. And so I said, we're going to have to end up tearing this down or moving somewhere else. And one of the elders, uh, I know him, I knew him well. Uh, he was like one of my fathers as I grew up. He told me over my dead body, will that happen? Well, he did pass away, sadly, before we opened our new church, but we just opened a year ago. And uh, God has been blessing us and, and uh, just just doing all kinds of amazing things. But it's just another one of those things that I, I, I don't slow down and I drive. <laughs> I'm probably gonna get in trouble, but I drive fast and, and I, and I, have I'll admit I've gotten a couple of tickets before and, and just um, don't learn, don't learn a lot of lessons sometimes. And that's, that's the problem that I had until about a year ago. And this is what it, I'm bringing it back to about a year ago, after the new church was just built, after struggle for three years of not having a place, we were moving place to place. And during the whole process of COVID, um, God kind of gave us all this kind of pause, this, this kind of slow down and stop, but, but I still didn't take it as one. I got really involved in the church building it and every part of it, every aspect of it, from what kind of steel we we're going to use to what we we're going to lay down on the floor to everything. And it just, I, I just didn't stop. Even though God kind of said, everybody's going to stop now. I said, nah, I got other ideas. I've got other plans, God. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep moving. 
Well, the church building came up and we had a great start and everybody's excited. And we had our Easter service just a couple months after that and packed out a couple services and everything is just going great. And within a couple, within a week after Easter, I came home like on a Tuesday after being at the office. I live right next door. I'm in the parsonage, so I don't get away from the church too, too often. But I came home and I just walked in the door. And at the time, my wife was still working from home. She worked in Chicago, but because of COVID, she worked at home. And I just, I hit a, I hit a wall I've never hit in my life. I, I came to a point where I just have never felt like this before. I, I didn't even know what I was feeling. And I just came and I went upstairs and I, I told Susie, I said, I feel like I'm done. And I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what I'm saying. But I just felt just wiped out. I've never been wiped out in my life. And one of my most favorite verses since I was a kid in scripture was the, the verse that I don't live by, and maybe that's one of my favorite verses why I like it, because I like to, is Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. And that hit me like a ton of bricks in that moment. Exodus 14, 14 says, the Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. I had no idea what that meant. I, I've never been silent. I've never been still. I've, I've never stopped. And in that moment, it was just on my knees, just saying, God, what do you want? I feel like I'm doing everything that you want. But it was more about doing everything that I want. And good stuff, not bad stuff, doing church stuff, just flying, going as fast as I could, as hard as I could, as long as I could. Like I said, I don't sleep much. Um, I'm constantly wanting to do stuff for the church. But like Dr. West has said, you know, you, you got to take care of yourself and you're no good to anybody if you're not going to take care of yourself and my whole thing was I was taking care of everybody else but myself I work out I train I do all that kind of stuff too but it was never a slowdown time for me Isaiah 30 15 for thus says the Lord our God the holy one of Israel in returning and rest you will be saved in quietness and in trust shall be your strength and then as right at the end of but you were unwilling. <laughs> and that was just what I kept going to. I just hit the scripture. When I hit that wall, I hit the scripture like crazy and saying, all right, what is, what do you want me to do other than <laughs> just be done? Um, I've never wanted to quit. I've never wanted to not be a minister. But at that moment, I didn't know what to do. And I just, again, I fell to my knees. I prayed that next week we went away. We took a week off, went to see our grandkids. And that was life renewing that that's life to me i love i love my grandkids and just playing with them and and that kind of stuff and that gave me what i needed in a moment but i needed something to sustain me for now the rest of my life and for some maybe it's quarterly maybe it's maybe it's monthly maybe it's weekly that you need to just be still and know that he's got to take the time i've got all the hobbies in the world i've got all the stuff that i love to do but it just filled my time because I didn't know how to slow down. And this was God just saying, it's time. It's, it's time for you to, to take a step, take a step back and listen to me and be quiet and be still and let me be God. Mm -hmm. And so it's just something to encourage you guys. I, I know as ministers, it's, it's not always easy to slow down. I know it's, it seems like it's always go, go, go. And we've got a job to do. We've, we've got a ministry. We've got to, 
We've got to get the word out. We feel like the end is coming soon. And we know that uh, more people need to know God. But like I've heard Dr. West say, and other people have told me in the meantime, that you're no good to, to us if you're not able to do what God's called you to do. So I want to encourage you guys with that and uh, pray with you guys now and we'll continue. God, we thank you so much for the amazing blessings that you give us every day. And this whole idea, Lord, you know us better than we know ourselves. Sometimes we think we know, but Lord, you give us those moments of realizing that you are God, that you're in control and that we need to let that be the case. That we need to take a step back sometime and say, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to be? What should I do? What shouldn't I do? God, give me that rest that I so desperately need. And I'm grateful that you allowed me to go as long as I did, but then allowed me to hit that wall and realize that it's all about you. God, continue to use us, all these men and women in this, in this group and around this country and around the world who are striving their best to spread your gospel in a world that so desperately needs it. Use us in every way that we can be used by you. Allow us to do your work until you call us home. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm. Thanks for sharing, Paul. And thank you for just showing up and being a part of this Tuesday community of people. You um, have added a great deal to it and we're thankful for you. Mm. Okay, now we get to spend some time with Doug and Daryl. Great. Good morning, uh, everyone, or good afternoon to some of you in the, in the East Coast. Um, <clears throat> today, we have a very special uh, guest uh, with us, a dear friend of mine and, and a guy that I uh, respect and admire so much, uh, Daryl Land. Um, you know, Daryl, I remember driving across the, the uh, roads of southern Indiana on my way to Jasper, <clears throat> And there, all of a sudden, out in the middle of a cornfield is this huge church. Russell, I think you were driving. We were driving, and all of a sudden, we saw, uh, at that time, <clears throat> church, uh, Christian Church at Jasper. And um, after spending some time there and spending some time with Daryl, I, I referred to this church, now Redemption Christian Church, as the miracle in the cornfield. And it's an amazing thing when, when you see a church that, that has exploded in growth in such a small community uh, that it's amazing. You know, we heard from Matt Merrill a few weeks ago, and the same, same thing with Matt and the great things happening, you know, just 45 minutes away from where Daryl's at. But uh, reaching small-town America is a huge thing for me. I grew up in a small town about the size of Jasper, and so it, it's dear to my heart, and, and Daryl has been a guy that, that uh, uh, did it all, and uh, so Daryl, first question for you this morning is, um, tell us a little bit about when uh, uh, redemption was planted, uh, what, what the process was, and, and what you kind of went through, because I knew you just grew up down the road at uh, French Lick, and um, so give us a little history of uh, redemption. <clears throat> yeah, and thanks for the nice, kind introduction, Doug. I remember that day really well when you guys came. Uh, obviously, a, a big, big day for us. Uh, but, you know, I grew up, uh, as Doug mentioned, about uh, maybe a half hour from 
here in French Lake, Indiana, and had my uh, some friendships in the Jasper area. Jasper, predominantly Roman Catholic town. I would say back in those days, 90% a Catholic, um, German Catholic town, actually very heavy German heritage. And uh, I started while I was in Bible college doing uh, basketball camps in Jasper because my brother was a teacher and a basketball coach here in, in Jasper. And that was kind of my summer job and working for a basketball coach and just really fell in love with the people and thought, wow, why is there not a restoration movement church here? One had been tried and failed miserably. Um, and why isn't there one here? Somebody should start one here. And uh, the, the basketball coach at the time said, hey, Daryl, you should move here, run my bitty basketball program and start a church. He said, I can't attend there. I'm a Catholic, but I'll support you. And, and he kind of planted that seed in my, in my mind way back then um, to, to, to be praying about Jasper. And so I went away, graduated Bible college and did a couple of ministries in churches, not unlike the one I grew up in. That was good churches, strong doctrinally, but not very missional minded when it come to reaching lost people. Like, like that was not the highest priority traditions, keeping, keeping things the way they were, the status quo maintenance churches, and I was never wired that way. Like I was always wired. The very first sermon I preached at Jasper was Mark chapter two, where the, where the guys tore the roof off the place to get their friend to Jesus. That's why one of our mantras really is wreck the roof, uh, because we believe so heartily in that. And so uh, I began doing those ministries, but I wasn't satisfied because every time we'd start to grow, I was a youth minister. And every time the youth group would grow, the elders would pull the plug because they would get uncomfortable things. And I was like, wow. God, you got to send me somewhere uh, that's going to do uh, wreck the roof kind of ministry. And it's, it's like he just spoke to me in my head, not audibly, hey, you, you remember Jasper. And so uh, I began to pray about it, asked some friends to pray about it. And we moved, I moved back down south. I was in more central Indiana, moved back down south and, uh, and started working to start a church. Uh, a very untraditional uh, approach. We didn't have a sending church group, a planning group. We didn't have any funds. It was basically my parents saying, hey, we'll pay for the first few weeks. And, and uh, I substitute taught. And so we started on May 21st in 2000. Um, and we started in the, meet, in the day, meeting room of the Days Inn Motel. Um, it wasn't fancy. We had like 12 local people show up and said they'd be a part of it. I preached the Wreck the Roof sermon. Um, shortly after that, um, my best friend from high school died of a drug overdose, and he was uh, he was my best friend. I did his wedding. I was there when his kid was born, and it just it 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 really bothered me because he was he was Catholic by heritage, but didn't really ever attend church. Like he didn't know the Lord, and I thought to myself, there are no churches that are reaching the Johns of this world. There's no churches reaching out to him to people like him the D church. And I thought that's the church that we want to be. That's, that's the heart of who we're going to be. Yeah. You're going to get transfer growth. Yeah. You're going to reach people who are Christians, but our goal, our desire is to reach people who are not being reached. People who are far from God. And that's kind of how we started. And uh, it was rough at first. I wouldn't have attended here if I wasn't the preacher, because we didn't do a very good job at things, but the heart of the mission was always there. It was that we're going to make it about Jesus and his gospel first and foremost over anything else. Uh, we're going to do things that are not being done. And in other words, to reach people who aren't being reached, you got to do things that aren't being done. We're going to do things that way. And we're going to love on people like with the love of God in ways that, that they've never dreamed of. And 
That's why first impressions and outreach is a big part of what we do. Because uh, as I, I've heard Aaron Brockett say that people get hell all week, they need heaven on Sundays. And so we, we make it our goal. And that's how we started. And it started slow. We probably for the first year and a half did not grow much at all. And then finally, we bought a little warehouse uh, in an industrial park way that should have never, <laughs> there's no way a church should have ever grown there, but God wanted to grow. And we grew to 300 people in that place until we bought the property where we're at now. And we relocated here and built a, a 12, about a 15,000 square foot building and then exploded, was in multiple services there. And we finished, we uh, added a, a children's space, a lobby and an unfinished worship center. Uh, concrete floor and that's when we met that uh, Russell and and Doug and uh, they said listen if you're going to reach people you're going to have to finish that out and none of the banks would even talk to us and they helped us do that and from there we've not looked back and as Doug mentioned we're now in in uh, multi-site ministries getting ready to open our third campus uh, down the road here in Tell City Indiana that's kind of the heart of who we are I guess in a nutshell yeah, I remember it well, Daryl, and I, I just uh, uh, respect you so much and what you've accomplished. Uh, tell us a little bit about, I know you spoke at Spire last year, uh, I believe, uh, and um, did a session on reaching the unchurched and the lost. Uh, give us kind of the highlights of, uh, of that um, session. Um, well, the, the, I, I just kind of went through some things that we do that I think anybody can do. Uh, whether you're in a small town or you're in, a, in a, a big city, an urban area, one is the, the goal is to preach the gospel and make it about Jesus every single week. Like that's number one. Like they, you, can, you can take all the political stands you want and all those things. I'm not saying there's not a time that you got to do that, but people need Jesus. That's what they need. And, and so I, I like what uh, Charles Spurgeon said. He, he takes his text and he makes a beeline for the cross. And so that was a big deal to me because that reaches people who are Christians and it reaches people who are not Christians. It reaches the, the people who are Christians because we tend to think we've got it together, that like we're earning something, that we're getting there because of what we've done. We forget that one sin separates us from God for all eternity. And so they need to hear that, no, we're, we're, the gospel says we're not good enough. We're only there by the grace of God. We're saved by grace. Um, and the, the, the second people it reaches is the lost people because a lot of people I talk to think they're way too bad to ever come to church to ever be saved by the Lord they think they're they're way too far gone and unfortunately a lot of the churches sent that message to them down through the years um, and so we think by preaching the gospel making it about that all the time being laser focused on that that it speaks to both the lost and the saved and encourages and it inspires the mission so that's the other thing I said in that session um is that we operate with a laser focus in the mission. A lot of people want the church to be all things to all people, um, to do all these different things and get involved in all these different causes. And, and certainly there are some things that, and, that you have to get involved with. But I know the big, the big push during COVID and all the racial tensions is you got to make a statement about this. You got to make a statement about this. You, everybody always wanted to come out and make statements about every little thing. And we said, you know what? Our statement is we're going to love like Jesus loves. We're going to, we're going to be the church and we're going to be stay focused on that mission. And uh, one of the things about preaching the gospel and staying focused on the mission, yeah, you're going to cover things like racial issues, like mental health issues. But I've seen a big trend, I think, in churches where 
churches are focusing on like those issues all the time. You want to get your people uh, mentally strong and spiritually strong, get them on mission. Because when you're on mission, you're not so focused on your own situation. You're focused on others. And so I think that's important. So we talked about that a lot in that session about how you got to be laser focused on the mission. You got to speak the language of your context. For those of you guys and gals that are ministering in small towns, don't, don't try to model everything that the churches in the cities do. And certainly take some of the, the principles and tools that they use. But, but I mean, we, 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 we're in rural Southern Indiana. And so we speak the language of our culture, both in the way we preach in our musical styles. I mean, we do a lot more uh, David Crowder, hillbilly stuff uh, than, than we do, uh, you know, elevation church style worship. Not that we don't do any of that, we do, but because that speaks the language of the culture of the people around us. And if you're going to reach down church people, uh, then you have to do that. Another thing that I think is important for that is to have more than one person communicating when it comes to preaching. Uh, for, since 2006, we've had two primary teachers from the pulpit in this church. Um, in other words, I, I, I share 50-50 with my teaching pastor because I think it's important to have more than one voice and we're able to do a little bit of a multi-generational voice. Um, I'm about 12 years older than my teaching pastor, so he reaches a lot, lot, a lot of younger people than I do. At one point, we had a guy that's uh, 60, that was 67 on our staff, and we had him teach a lot too because he reaches yet another uh, people that we don't. So I think that's a way you can reach lost people. Another, and, and also to, 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 to don't think that being wide and deep is mutually exclusive. A lot of churches go real shallow or they go real deep, and I think that, that you got to be both. Uh, there's nothing wrong with teaching theological concepts. Just explain them more. If you're preaching to lost people, you have to explain them. You don't have to use the word propitiation to explain what that means, that it means that Jesus' uh, Jesus' sacrifice appeased God on our behalf. You know, kind of do that. And then another thing that reaches lost people and young people in general now is to just be transparent and real. Like, don't try to be something you're not. Don't be afraid to acknowledge that you're a sinner that needs... God is, I mean, I heard Matt Proctor say one time that the lady in the church said, you know, we've always heard preachers say they're sinners, but you're the first one we believed. So sometimes uh, you got to, you got to let them know when you're struggling, you got to let them see your struggles. If you're a fellow struggler in our church community, coming from Catholic and some Lutheran, like high church was a big deal. And so people felt like the pastors were way up here and the lay people were way down here. And, and we tried really hard to uh, it's one of the reasons we dressed casually from the get-go here as preachers, because we wanted to show people, hey, we're just fellow sojourners with you. We're, we're in ministry all together, priesthood of all believers. And so they need to see that, and they need to see that you struggle. Um, I always teach our guys and gals, when you're teaching, make sure you're not always or even often the hero of your stories. Like, I think that's one of the worst things I see in ministry is when the preacher's are always the heroes of their stories, when they're always the, the story on social media, when they're always the center of it all, it unintentionally lowers Jesus down. It puts them up higher. And so I think if you're going to reach unchurched people, they'll see through that so fast and you got to be willing to do that. So those are some of the ways that we, we try to reach the, the lost and the unchurched. 
Daryl, give us a, give us kind of a brief overview of the decision-making process you went through to expand and uh, go over to Lagodi and then, and a little bit about the, your new, uh, new uh, campus that you're planning. Yeah. So we, we always thought we were going to be a church planning church uh, because rural Southern Indiana, like most of rural America is, has a bunch of dying churches, like churches are dying left and right. And, and your church planning groups, and rightfully so, they're going to larger areas, suburban areas, urban areas to plant, uh, and it makes good sense. Um, I don't think that's that different from the Apostle Paul strategy. But the bottom line is that means that there's a lot of people in middle America, a lot of people in rural America who are not being reached. And so we felt like we needed to expand. Well, we realized that planting churches is incredibly difficult and fails most of the time. Whereas the multi-site model um, is less expensive and seems to, to be working in a lot of areas, but we hadn't seen it work in rural areas. We were only visiting places like Southeast Christian Church or CCV and, and, and Phoenix, which did totally different models than what we could ever dream of pulling off until through the Solomon Foundation, uh, you know, uh, we heard about the crossing and Quincy, uh, Illinois, and J met Jerry Harris. My elders, one, uh, one of my elders actually has a plane. We flew out there, uh, and Jerry picked us up, and we saw their model of reaching the way they reach people in, in a rural area with this multi-site ministry, and we thought, this is who we want to be. We want to take the heart and the DNA of what redemption is and go to places that don't have a church like that, and so that's that was our heart's desire, and then Logoti opened up. There was an old Comida or Shopco center that opened up and one of our members actually bought it. Uh, he, he was going to put his chiropractic office in one side of it. And he said, the other part is open. And so we ended up working with them and we own our part and they own their part. And we launched in Logoti uh, in this little town. Logoti is about 24, 2,500 people. And, and the church launched with about 400 people right off the bat, uh, that campus there. Um, so it was pretty amazing how much it took off. And we realized we wanted to do that again. And we kept looking and praying. And uh, we've recently just purchased a old an empty junior high school in Tell City, Indiana, where we're going to put our third campus. And uh, Doug, should I tell them how much we gave for a 70,000 square foot building? I think you should, Daryl. We gave $200,000 for a 70,000 square foot building in Tell City, Indiana. So it's pretty remarkable we, we were able to pay cash for the building so yeah for for rob denton in uh, san fernando valley that would go towards maybe buying the mop closet <laughs> probably all that would afford so um daryl share a, a little bit uh, about um the future of redemption what you know obviously you're going to be doing uh, more satellites and things but where do you think uh, things are going to go for what I call micropolitan church uh, in the future and, and what you feel the model is going to be uh, the next 10 years? Yeah, I mean, I think this is the way of the future for rural areas in particular. I think it's got merit in cities for sure. But I think this, these, like my home church, uh, my, my dad passed away in October. Him and my mom were two of, of the three couples that were keeping that place flo afloat. Um, I don't know how much longer they can continue. There are 30, 40 people on a, on a strong Sunday. There are literally hundreds of those churches all over Southern Indiana, Illinois, Kentucky, 
and there's not churches raising up to reach them. So I think this is the future of reaching the population for Jesus in our, in our neck of the woods, this multi-site microsite ministry. It can look a lot different. Like we do video teaching with ours, live bands, live campus pastor video teaching. I've got some friends that do it and, and they have live teaching at every one of their locations. Uh, so it doesn't have to look exactly like our model. Uh, but this is, I think this is the future. I think this is the way, I mean, if you would have ever told anybody that there'd be a church that size in Logoti, they would have said you were crazy. Um, and, and the same true in Jasper. And I, I foresee tell city being that way. And then what we're seeing now in a lot of places, we've not had this, but what we're seeing in a lot of places is now places, other churches that are kind of on the, the downed end of their life cycle are approaching churches about, Hey, would you, uh, would you like to absorb us as a campus and do that? And I think when that starts to happen a little more, I think this is even going to take off uh, far. I know, uh, I know 242 has done that a few times and up where Bob's at and some other places have done that. And I think that's, I think this is the future of reaching people for Jesus um, in, in middle America for sure. Great, Daryl. Thank you for, for, for all of those uh, words of wisdom. Of course, I can't, uh, leave an interview with Daryl uh, without sharing that uh, uh, Daryl was instrumental in helping us find our new CFO at the Solomon Foundation. Melissa waved to everybody there. We see you. Uh, you know, it was a couple years ago, Daryl kept telling me about this lady in his church about how smart she was and how great uh, of an accountant, financial person she was. And so when I made the decision to hire the first CFO at uh, Solomon Foundation, first person I called was Daryl Land. And uh, he connected us up with Melissa and uh, the rest is history. She's now our CFO and doing a, a fabulous job. And I know Daryl's forgiven me for stealing one of his tithers, but sorry, uh, we, needed it, we needed her at Solomon Foundation. So let's open it up um, to everybody here and if you've got questions for Daryl, let's stick them in the chat room. Renee, if you can monitor the chat room, or if guys want to just um, unmute, let's uh, let's uh, ask questions uh, to Daryl. Hey, Daryl, I'll go because I'm I'm in a very similar position as you, as you know. Uh, Rural America, obviously. Um, uh, spread out a lot. Uh, when you got houses spread two, five miles apart, uh, door hangers don't really work. And so can you give us some ideas on what you've done as far as outreach? How do you reach your community and get them, uh, get them engaged with the church? That's great. That's a great uh, question. I should have probably talked a little more about that, but well, first off, you have to be in, in your engaged in your community as, as a pastor, as a minister, like I have believed in the get go that while I have a job here, a role here of kind of overseeing staff and preaching and teaching and shepherding, my job is a lot outside these walls. And so I've been involved from the get-go in coaching. Uh, I started out with a lot like substitute teaching almost all the time back before I had any, I didn't get paid to be a minister here when we started. And so you had to get some money and that was one of the ways to do it, to be heavily involved in your community, loving on your community. Uh, and then, we kind of adopted in the early days, I don't know if you remember years ago, uh, I think it was Rick Russo wrote, wrote that book called Externally Focused Church. And 
the idea was is if your church was to back up and move out of town tomorrow, who would miss it besides the people who wasn't attending there? And so we decided to adopt that philosophy that, hey, we're going to be the best church, not in our community, but the best church for our community that we can be and to love on people. And so we're, we're heavily involved with, with outreach to our towns, to our schools. Uh, we, just, we just love on the teachers. Like we'll just provide a meal for them uh, because we feel like in Indiana, I can't speak to the rest of the world, teachers are very underappreciated nowadays. Um, and so we, we try to do a lot of that when people like they're so they're on the front lines of this. And, and so we tried to constantly be sending care packages to our ER, to, to those people on staff. And so we just try to really love on our community uh, the best we can. And then to love them when they come on here. Uh, I, I always joke with people. We have a parking team uh, on our, our, but we don't have a parking team because people need help parking. It's not that hard. It's really not. We have a parking team because we want the first face they see on the campus to be somebody waving, smiling at them, being friendly. And that's what our, our, our team is for. So just to really love people, I think, is the biggest form of outreach. Uh, we've never done, ever done mailers or, or hangers or any of that. Um, uh, our, our biggest source of outreach budget may be postcards. Like we did postcards for Easter this year for people to invite their friends. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do that stuff through Facebook where you can uh, pay to promote posts and stuff like that. But for the most part, we don't have a, our outreach is to, is to get our community groups and our people to just love on our community and each community we're in. So that's really our, our target. Um, but you have to be with your people. Like, in rural America, like you can't sit in your office and pretend like you're going to pastor the people. Uh, it won't work. That makes sense. Daryl, Rob Denton here from Southern California. Um, so taking that to the next step, once you get them from the street to the seat to one of the worship services, what, what's, how do you get them to the next level? How do you get them to the next step? Yeah, uh, when you all figure that out, <laughs> let me know. We're, we've been practicing that for 20 years now. Not great at it, but a couple tools. We obviously, we offer a starting point class, which is a three-week overview of who we are. We always say that's this first step to partnership. We call our members partners. We just, you know, we think that name kind of describes us better than members because members like you're paying dues to be a part of something, partnerships where you're, you're kind of a part of the team. So we have that. And then the next step after that, that we've really pushed for the last two years that have been really successful for us is we're walking our people through Rooted, um, which I'm sure you've heard of. We love it. We've had more baptisms out of Rooted than anything else, um, which is funny because when I first heard about it, it's like, you're going to have to really change how they focus on baptism and Rooted. And I see nothing wrong with the way they approach it. And uh, so we do Rooted. And then we do we try to encourage our rooted groups that are not in community groups to get in community groups uh, because the statistics don't lie. If you're a part of a smaller group, you're much more likely to stay a part of the church than you are if you're just a Sunday attender. Um, and then we don't have any big separation between membership and the regular attender. Like, like, cause we don't vote on anything. There's none of that stuff. And so really, you can, you can step in and get involved and help in almost any area of our church right away. Now, you're not going to be teaching a class if you're not a Christian, uh, but, you know, 
we try to involve people because I think the more people are on mission, the more they feel like they're a part of it. So that's, that's kind of our involvement step. Uh, we don't do a lot of classes. Uh, we try to push things through small groups. We do a few events a year. Uh, like we have our Women's Alive event, which is just a women's conference of one day. Um, this year we're using, uh, what's the big women's conference thing that, that they, uh, if conference, we're using their feed for that. And I, you know, we have, it's kind of crazy. We have just under 500 people signed up for that. It's, it's a big deal. And that just, we try to do a few of those events. We do a, what we call men's advance where we go camp, uh, usually get about a hundred guys to go camp and, and worship and bring in a speaker and, and, uh, rough it a little bit. So we do a few events like that, but we're not a big event church. That's cool. Thank you. Hey, Daryl here for, uh, Daryl. Yeah, hey, Daryl, you mentioned uh, kind of the, I like the way you talked about the multi-campus and how it's less expensive and you saw it as the future. Can you elaborate on that? Well, I mean, I just, I think it's a, uh, it's, it's a model that I think anybody can do. And I didn't think that was true uh, at first until we went and watched what Jerry and his crew did at the crossing. But literally, I mean, most of you are live streaming your services now anyway. Um, so it's not like it's hard to capture what's happening there and to, and to take uh, we, uh, your DNA and just transplant it to another area. Uh, it can be as small as a, as, a, as a small warehouse or it could be a large church area or it could be a house church. But you can take that, what you're doing in your, your broadcast location or whatever, and you can just uh, take that to other locations for the, for the meeting and gathering. And, and then get involved more in that community. Like one of the things that we had in the early days, we had people driving an hour to get to this church, which that's cool. But how, how many of their friends are they going to get to come with them if they're driving an hour to come here? Not very many, I wouldn't think. And so by, by taking the church to them, uh, by, by starting a, a, a service in, in their neck of the woods, they're much more likely to get their friends involved and, you know, we didn't sink a ton of money into that either. Uh, I mean, we have some pretty decent cameras and we go through this vendor because um, Worship is One, I think is what it's called, that, that does our streaming to our campuses. But it's not a, it's not a hard model. Uh, if we have a, a, a fellow that's part of our Solomon, uh, been to some of our Solomon things that's coming here today from Ohio just to talk with us about that, what that means um, and Matt Merrill's over here with me and we're going to go walk him through and show, show how that works. So if anybody wants to ever come and visit or just do a chat call, call with us one-on-one, -on -one, we can walk you through how we do it. I don't know if that answered your question, Michael. No, that's great. Thank you. Super. Thanks. Well, thank you, Daryl. I know we wanted to uh, give Dr. West some time uh, today, and um, I also wanted to uh, uh, make an announcement. Many of you already know this, but uh, uh, Jimmy McLeod, I think I saw him on the on the call here. Jimmy, are you there? Did I'm here. Yep. Yeah, great. So uh, most people aren't aware of this, but Jimmy's now the uh, new lead pastor, senior pastor at First Christian Church Canton. Uh, we're excited about that, and uh, he's going to do a great job. And so, uh, guys, uh, reach out to Jimmy, be there for him, support him, 
Um, he's got some challenges ahead, but he's the guy to make it happen. So we're grateful for Jimmy and his ministry there at First Christian Church Canton. So Dr. West, we're going to turn it over to you. Absolutely. Everybody stay on the line. We have something that I think is um, a great opportunity for us here today. Um, we've got leaders in the world doing some pretty uh, interesting things. Okay. We have a, a possible teaching moment here for the people in our church. Uh, what can we learn? What can we teach our people about the slap that was heard around the world? Will Smith had an outburst at the Oscars. That was startling, to say the least. Um, and it's obviously the actions of a man who has not processed his unresolved issues or he did not adequately pre-game possible scenarios as a reaction to adversity. But uh, it was pretty startling. And as pastors, I think we have a, a really good opportunity here to, to, to use this as a teaching moment. And I just, I'm, I wanted to open up to you. Um, what are your thoughts? As, as, what's our response as Christian leaders? What can we, what can we, how can we use this as a teachable moment for our people? It was uh, certainly a sociological earthquake, and I think we should comment on it. So what do you think? Open your mics. So I'd love to hear Don Henley, another former police officer's view of this. Um, there, yeah. You know, my initial reaction, seriously, and I just want to confess this, like, I don't know why he didn't close his fist. Like, a paw slap was just ludicrous. Dude, that's what I said. That's what I said. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, I, so Matt Merrill was on. Well done, Matt, for confessing that alongside me um, in that, in that uh, video moment. But, I, but when, in retrospect, there are, there are so many better ways to handle that situation. Um, there's a better way to be a, an ambassador, to be known as someone different from the world and how the world reacts. Because I was incredibly worldly, and I know many of you were as well. Like, no, I would have, like, that would have been it. That 30 seconds of violence that I have, like, that would have been it. But when you put the kingdom first, to me, it's it, like, so it's, there's a lot of conversations, because I'll confess this to anybody, like, no, I like, that's it. We're going full-blown Donnybrook. This is fun. This is what I live for. And But when I think of kingdom, like, who am I supposed to live for? What am I supposed to be? What, how am I supposed to show myself to be different? So it's been a good conversation with people um, for choosing the better and not choosing just humanness. And I, I'd love to have Don say, like, he said the same thing. Like, he would have smacked the crap out of him, too, and then confessed. Bob, that's great. Summing up what you said is uh, whatever our natural reaction, uh, people, uh, we represent the kingdom of God in how we respond. Okay, somebody else. Ken Eidelman, you're not getting off the hook here. I want to hear from you. Uh, who else? 
Dwayne, need to hear from you uh, and Dave Hamlin. As Christian leaders, what can we learn ourselves as leaders? What can we teach our people through this? I think every pastor that's online this morning will be a lot more careful about his humor from the pulpit on Sunday mornings. No, the dudes are services. Um, you know, I was taken with uh, Will Smith's behavior after he received the, uh, the award, the Academy Award. He shed tears. Uh, I felt like they were tears of a man who's searching who, uh, who is, is broken from the inside. We know some things about his marriage and his family that um, make me think that in that moment, he had a moment of clarity about how, how truly spiritually bankrupt he was. And, um, and his reactionary behavior just kind of lanced the boil. Um, but I thought it was an interesting, interesting in the midst of that um, not everybody narcissistic, but the, that community is a very insecure and very narcissistic community. And I thought what we saw there was really revealing about, about the spiritual deficits with which uh, that community operates. I hope that's fair. Uh, very well articulated. A reactionary behavior that lanced the boil. There was something underneath the surface. And there is a spiritual poverty in that community, definitely. And that was evidenced. Uh, Dave Hamlin. I, I'm so thankful for Bob Smith because I was feeling like a total pig and I had no idea until staff meeting yesterday and our guys were talking about it. And I was like, what are you talking about? And so they pulled it up on YouTube and, and I was just, my first response was I'd have worn him out. Um, but it also reminds me of the value of security teams at church. So they can't get to me, Ken. So uh, maybe I'll be a little more careful. Maybe I won't. But I, I, in thinking about it, really, not only Will Smith and his brokenness, I mean, the, that whole thing went down at a fairly pagan event. I mean, the, the people in that room, that's the the – everybody's upset about the violence of what he did or the disrespect, but there was a night when they were giving awards to people who make movies about violence and disrespect. Right. So, mm. you know, I was like, okay, if you can make a movie about it, stand there and take it. I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm a little bit leery about making too much of a connection to something that, uh, is so far out there. Um, so that's just me. Thank you, Bob Smith, for making me feel like a little bit less of a pagan. <laughs> Good on you, Dave. Thanks. Hey, uh, Dr. Zimmerman, I want you to jump in here and comment as well. But uh, uh, Dwayne, any thoughts? Any thoughts about no thoughts? All right. One reaction I had is Hollywood seems to take the position there is no such thing as absolute truth no right or wrong. And all of a sudden they were confronted with an, a situation where they had to make a choice, what's right or wrong. I think they were taken off guard. Mm -hmm. mm. Mm -hmm. Uh, one I thing will say that I, I would add that I think it was cool uh, in watching more of it that uh, Denzel Washington and Tyler Perry 
during the break went to Will Smith and his kind of a little bit older men in that room just tried to diffuse uh, the situation a little bit and speak some truth. I think there, there's, there was great wisdom in that of, and that we could probably really tie over to uh, how the church should react to situations to go into it and speak wisdom and truth to diffuse uh, awkward and uh, hostile situations. Mm. I, one of the things that I noticed or that I think is a lesson there is that when you respond in any kind of way, like he did, uh, it actually, you make it all about yourself and take away about what the night was actually supposed to. Can you imagine the guy that got the documentary reward that Chris Rock was given right after that? There's, he couldn't even celebrate what is the highest uh, thing to celebrate in his line of work because that's all anybody could focus on. And just when we react stupidly, and I think it was, I don't care, mm. you know, uh, you can walk off. If you're mad about a joke, you can walk off. You can file a complaint. You can confront him when the cameras aren't on. But when you do that publicly, it run, it run the whole night for so many people. And I, I see that. I've seen that happen in family situations, you're gathered at Christmas and you're upset with somebody and you mouth off and the whole, the whole afternoon is destroyed because you couldn't use some restraint. And I think that happens in the church a lot. So. Thank you, Dr. West. I was uh, thinking about that. We talked about it with staff yesterday a lot too, but um, you see a great inconsistency in our worldly culture but our worldly culture needs a consistent Jesus, and we're the model for that. Mm. You know, there's a ton of inconsistency of what's right, what's wrong, what's love, what's not love, what's hate, what's not hate. We had a situation, a junior high basketball game a couple months ago where a parent came down and hit one of the referees. Well, they were, they were arrested immediately. In any other culture, that you know, you would be arrested in another kind of event. Will Smith should have been arrested immediately. But it's inconsistent culture, and we can't change that but we can be consistent in our love of Jesus and our love for people in an inconsistent culture. So I just think it's huge about consistency for us as believers of Jesus. Mm. It was, it was fascinating that in, in one moment, that's the same man was involved in acting out. And then moments later, he was experiencing a standing ovation, uh, getting the highest award in his, uh, in his field. And it just, that the, uh, the cognitive dissonance, that that mm -hmm. produces. It's like one moment he shocks us with, and then the next moment we're standing to our feet, applauding him. A uh, very, very strange uh, uh, event. Uh, here's here, from a clinical perspective. Uh, here's a couple of thoughts. I suspect that this was, was less to do about uh, the relationship with what was happening between Chris Rock, uh, between Will Smith, and Chris Rock, and I think there was a, there was a, there was certainly some of the relationship that Will Smith had with his wife that was playing into this. We don't know. We can't. We can just uh, assess from afar, you know, unless we have the benefit of sitting down and and having a conversation with all involved. But uh, just my experience in clinical practice is that, uh, you know, we uh, we call it projection. You know, we get uh, thrown. You know, we can throw onto other people uh, pain that we're experiencing in another entity, 
uh, with another entity. And, uh, and that happens to us as pastors. When people criticize us, when people take us to task, um, you know, most times it's less about uh, the relationship with us and the person that's criticizing us and the person and their own unresolved issues. So uh, that's, that's a point that I think is worth thinking about. The other thing is once you get into a fight response, um, that's a different part of your brain. And when you're in that fight part of your brain, the, the part of your brain that deals with decision-making in light of consequences gets shut down. And I'm sure that it, with the benefit of um, a bit of time, and, and, I, and I think this has come out later that uh, Will Smith uh, regrets what he did, but in the moment he was caught up in that fight response and he, he did not have access to the part of his brain that would cause him to act wisely in that situation and to say, you know what, this could really destroy the night for a whole lot of people if I went through this. Well, that, that part of wise thinking that comes from our brain, that part comes from our spirit gets shut down at that point. So I just think it's, um, it was interesting, uh, the sociological earthquake, uh, but I think it is indicative of the edginess uh, in our world today and also of the great need that our society has for Jesus, as you have uh, you've so well articulated, Brian. So I just want to read Romans 12, 7, 17 to us all, and then I'm going to pray for us all. Uh, I'll hand it over to Doug or Renee to, uh, to send us out. But Romans 12, 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So that's what we're called to be. And uh, we'd like to think that as leaders, we're above ever reacting. But I, I know that any, any believer, any great leader, when put under enough pressure, enough stress, enough duress, that we can, uh, we can act out in a fight response and uh, we, could, we can regret it later. And, it, uh, and, and just because we're in our uh, 50s, 60s, and 70s, doesn't, it doesn't mean that we're beyond uh, being, being tempted to go down that road. So, um, God bless each and every one of you for being spiritual leaders in times like this. Thank you for, uh, leading your people and helping them to have a right and godly response, uh, whenever they are faced with adversarial situations. So thanks for being on the call. Thank you so much for, um, for Paul for opening us up, letting us realize that we are, uh, um, we're leaders, but we also are humans and we can hit a limit. So thank you, Paul, for sharing with that. Um, Daryl Land, you're an inspiration. Appreciate so much you sharing with us today and uh, uh, your commentary helps us to, uh, um, to think beyond our own context and to uh, gain some fresh material. Thank you. For that, Daryl, and everybody else who has uh, partaken and uh, and just shared, these are special times. 
the the Solomon Foundation leader call is is a great time. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for being vulnerable. And let me pray for each and every one of us. Father God in heaven, I thank you that you've called us to be leaders um, for such a time as this. Uh, Lord God, when when all of society is just so edgy, when we've got wars going on in uh, in uh, Ukraine, uh, the war going on there, God, we just we just know that in troubled times, you have prepared leaders to lead people through. And thank you for giving us uh, the gospel. And I love what Daryl uh, just reminded us of what Charles Spurgeon says: take any text and make a beeline for the cross. Lord God, we do represent your kingdom, and we pray that in our behavior that, uh, that we would be above reproach and that people would look to us as we follow you for inspiration that a godly life can be led. Lord, bless each individual pastor. They carry unique loads. Lord, just get them through this week. Inspire them, encourage them, bless them as they lead their people coming into uh, uh, the Easter season. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for dying for us. And uh, thank you for giving us the opportunity to build your kingdom. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.